All right. Yes. Um, you guys, we are so incredibly excited tonight because Brittany and I, with our podcast, Be My Neighbor, have started this web series, sorry, webinar series called Cancels. And tonight we have the great pleasure of introducing to you guys Finding Courage and having a conversation with my mentor, my friend, a partner, someone that I consider like a lifelonger I will follow to the ends of the earth for and will do anything to collaborate in any way possible, the one and only Melanie Griffith, AKA Mel. Mel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, you are so welcome, Evan. I appreciate that type of an intro. Um, <laughs> you know, I, feel, I feel really honored. <clears throat> I was, as you were talking, I was just remembering back to first meeting you and my kids at the time really were watching um, you on television at the same time. And so it kind of, uh, I always, you know, anything you can get to up your cool factor with your kids. Um, you were a notch on my belt at one point. So. <laughs> Take it. Take yeah. it. So just for those of you that do not know, Mel is a master instructor at SoulCycle, the senior director of commercial talent innovation. Um, a writer, an inspirational speaker, a mother of three, a incredible leader in our soul cycle community. Like one of the ones I think that we all look to always for guidance and direction when, when we get a little unsettled. So we figured what better time to have you on and have a conversation than when we all need a little mama Mel love. So <laughs> we are yeah. so excited. Yeah, um, I feel real, I'm really happy to be here. Um, Brittany, we just met um, today yes. and I'm really excited just to be in this conversation uh, with the two of you. Well, I've, I've been hearing so much about you for years and years now. So I'm so happy to be finally connected to you. And when this is all over, we're all gonna go out together and do like real hugs and all the good stuff. Um, but I know a lot of you do know Mel out there but for those that don't and haven't met you, we really wanted to tell everyone and if you could fill us in on your story, your background, and how you found Soul. Okay. <clears throat> um, I'm going to give you the fast version of this because it really, like any good story, is probably a long and winding story. Um, I'm originally from Western Massachusetts, from the Berkshires, a little town called Lenox. Um, my father was... Um, kind of a world-renowned concert pianist, and the summer home of the Boston Symphony Orchestra is in Lenox, um, and that's where he decided with my mom um, to raise my brother and I. And so I grew up there, spent a lot of time in, in my childhood with him doing cool things, traveling around the world, listening to music, classical music. Um, and ultimately, it led me to New York City to go to Columbia University for undergrad. Um, and both my parents had gone there. And it's kind of it was funny for me. I I think in that sort of classical music world, everything was really kind of fancy. And I like to think of myself as being a little bit rebellious and a little bit more hip than my parents. Um, and and funny to me that then, you know, I walked on to the campus in New York City at Columbia thinking like, I'll go and look at it. But, you know, my parents went there. I'm going to do something different. And um and I just fell in love with the city, the school. Um, and so I've been in New York City ever since then. After Columbia, I, I worked for a couple of years in television. Um, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with myself. I worked at Entertainment Tonight. I worked at a TV show called Hard Copy. I did um, not know this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? Wait. <laughs> I was... Um, it was my first job out of college. I was a production assistant at Entertainment in New York City, and the only other production assistant was Ed Burns, who at the time was writing the movie The Brothers McMullen at the Entertainment Tonight offices. He spent a lot of time there. So, yeah, that's that. Um, truthfully, it, I didn't really then know at all what to do with myself, and so many people in my life were like, you would be a great lawyer. You should go to law school. And I was like, let's do that, you know? Um, and I... I ended up going to law school. I loved going to law school. Um, I clerked for a federal judge after I graduated, really at the top of my class. Um, I worked at a big law firm here in New York City. And then 
then I got pregnant. And here I was, the beginning of an interesting corporate law career, pregnant. Um, and I went on maternity leave. I had my daughter, Emma. I woke up, you know, the morning that she was born. And I was like, I was born to be this girl's mother. And it was hard for me to think of much else for the next year. Um, I think she slept only if she was on my body for probably a year. <laughs> so people would be like, you should sleep train her. And I'd be like, great idea for you <laughs> because that's my child and I'm gonna keep her right here. Um, I stayed kind of on maternity leave as I continued to have more children and till it was very clear to everybody. And I finally went and got my framed diploma um, from this law firm and never went back. And, and then here I suddenly am a mother of three children in New York City. They were all quite young and they all went to this incredible independent progressive school here in New York City called the Calhoun School. And I joined the board and I started doing things like fundraising and hosting parties for fundraisers for the school. And I would drop my kids off. And in 2006, in the spring, two blocks around the corner from where my youngest was in nursery school, opens up this little studio called Soul Cycle. You couldn't find it if you walked down the street. Um, my friend had grown up with Julie Rice, someone that I had met in like a baby class on the Upper West Side. And she said, my friend just opened this business this week. It's called Soul Cycle. I feel like you would love it. You should go check it out. And so I walked in. Julie Rice was standing behind the front desk. Nobody else was there. We started talking for, we probably talked for an hour. And the next day I went into a class and I just, it was me, uh, two other people. Wow. And the first song, I tell this story a lot. The first song was Chasing Cars by Snow Patrol. Um, it was just like, it ripped your heart open right from the beginning. I sat there and here, here became the truth for me. I lived this incredible life of privilege, incredible life of privilege. I had a summer home. I had a incredible apartment in New York City. I had three kids in private school. Um, I had been a lawyer. I had this just beautiful, blessed life. And somehow I didn't feel connected to myself anymore. And somehow me, me just got lost in that. Soul Cycle became my habit and my place and my people. And I started watching other, at the time when I started, there was one instructor. Um, I started watching when other instructors would come, when other people would come. I started to bring my friends and started to have my birthday ride there. <laughs> um, but that was the story of Soul Cycle. You know, I did that for three years while I was still raising my kids. I never had a thought, oh, you should teach Soul Cycle. I just loved it. I happened to be taking a lot of classes with Stacy, and Stacy was already teaching on the floor. And so I rode her podium a lot. And when I was turning 40 years old, she said to me, why don't you just teach your own birthday party this year? Wow. Um, and that's really how it started. And so my friends and the other teachers there were at SoulCycle at the time and Julie Rice and Elizabeth, Sue was there, um, Lori was there, um, came and I taught my own birthday party ride. And after that, Julie said like, maybe you wanna be a teacher. And I was like, <gasps> what? Oh, girl. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> um, and so there we are. You know, that was that was 11, 11 years ago. Wow. And your life has drastically changed and grown in all sorts of different ways since then. Yeah. Um, in every way, I the the path from there to here um, has been so much. It has been peaks and valleys and hairpin turns. Where I sit right now is I feel like the head of the family of a very uh, modern family um, that I am proud of, that I love very much, um, that it involves me, my three children, my daughter's 21, my boys are 18 and 16, um, my girlfriend, 
who used to be my best friend, um, and my ex-husband and his girlfriend, who used to ride with me at SoulCycle. So. <laughs> Modern connections. And then also 300 some instructors who all look at you like, mom, mom, yeah, mom. Yeah. I was telling Mel this morning that I was talking with my life coach the other day and I was expressing some anxiety and she said, have you talked to Mel about this? And I was like, I have it. I have it. I'm calling her. Not yet. Let's talk. Yeah. Let's talk about it. So, I mean, I guess the first thing we're going to dive into, we're going to break this up into three sections for those of you that are listening, just to make it really clear for you. And I think the most prominent thing in your life right now would be tackling cancer for a second time, a different form of cancer. You now have a non-chronic form of. Um, it's a kind of rare form of small intestine cancer that I am what would have been the middle of chemo and what turns out to be now the end of chemo literally today. <laughs> um, having had a successful but major surgery um, at the end of January. So I was with you as the C word started to even become something in your in your world again. And as I was watching that, I mean, watching you navigate this sort of thing is probably going to be one of the greatest gifts of my lifetime due to the fact that you approach everything with such incredible amounts of grace and sincerity and you know, as we specifically talked about vulnerability, th these two experiences for you, I can imagine at completely different times in your life, you had to really learn very different lessons and approach them in very different ways. Can you explain to me a little bit how each one felt different? And yeah. Well, Bevan, here's one thing. I'm gonna just shout myself out and be proud in this moment because I told like seven minutes of a story of my life and I didn't one time say the word cancer. Um, and that's a big deal because for a really long time, I've walked around and had this like, oh, this is what cancer looks like, peace, you know? Um, but it's just not even that. It's like I have come to this place now where it's just, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than any one word. Um, 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with a chronic form of lymphoma. Um, it's a shocking word to ever have associated with you. And also particularly, I was raised um, in kind of an alternative, I'm gonna call it that religion, where we really didn't um, rely on medical care. My parents really didn't. And so the conversation around illness was usually in a whisper and in a private space. And I approached the diagnosis of cancer so differently. I needed to meet it with as much strength as it met me. And so the first time that I had this word, I suddenly was like, oh guys, hey, guess what? I was just diagnosed with cancer. This is happening to me, this is it. And I just became, I was in a dance with it for the whole time. Um, the chronic cancer I had 10 years ago, it was chronic. And so I had to be monitored until certain triggers happened. And so I didn't have to have chemo until almost a year after I was diagnosed. This time um, was completely different. Um, 10 years ago, I went through chemo. It was shrinking tumors. I lost my hair, um, but got to do it in a way where I got to watch myself like Demi Moore did and G.I. Jane shave right down the middle of my head. I got to like learn that I was beautiful in my face, you know, things like that um, by dancing with cancer yeah. um, and being in the ring. And I kept thinking about being a fighter and being in the ring and that. This time, this time, um, this time I really didn't feel good. I didn't know why I didn't feel good. It was misdiagnosed for a really long time. It was something we had to chase down. And this was a scarier, this was a scarier diagnosis. So this one I approached um, 
less uh, this time, the lesson for me was less about standing up and fighting. I'm gonna fight this, I'm gonna beat it. It wasn't that. This one, because it required such brilliant surgery and care afterwards, um, required me to go to a place of absolute vulnerability. And I think in a lot of ways, I was given an opportunity to learn in a big way at a moment in time. Um, if this had happened before, later, I, I don't know. I don't know that it would have given me the same opportunity. And so for me, again, I choose to believe that it happens for you, not to you. It happens for you, not to you. I think one of the things you said when we were discussing this early on that like struck me so hard and it was something that I've carried with me and I've used as advice since then, um, always quoting you, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but there, there, there was a moment where you said, you know, this time I'm going to allow myself the ability to have hope. I'm going to give myself that vulnerability because having hope can also come with the disappointment, right? but you allowed yourself that space. Yeah. Um, last time, yeah. And I, I guess I guess we all have different lessons that we need to learn at different times. Um, I am in a place in my life, I just turned 50 years old. I am so ready to be here and alive and vibrant and connected and living. So when you get a diagnosis that feels scary, um, yeah, hope, hope, hope isn't always a word that you would bring into battle. And I've been a soldier for so long. Yeah. And so in some ways this time I'm always a soldier, but like I'm a general now. Um, but this time I had to be more creative with myself in all the ways I had to be kinder about it. I had to be gentler about my fight. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's interesting. I think back, I've been saying this in class for years, um, this idea of I want to fight for, you know, I don't want to fight with, I don't want to fight with you. I don't want to. And I think last time I fought with the cancer. Okay. Now that it was bad, I needed to fight with it then. I needed to fight with it. I had like things that had to be shrunk down. This time I had to surrender a little bit more. Um, to the care of people and to the beauty of life and connection. And so honestly, I've lived an entire life in the week from the surgery that I spent in the hospital. The people that I met, still right now today, I wasn't feeling good. The nurse that I met there, um, that's who Jessica's texting, like, how do I help her, you know? <laughs> wow, it's a connection. Well, and speaking to that surrendering and, you know, sometimes feeling badly and being vulnerable, are there ever the days that maybe you are feeling a little bit lower or you do feel that you want to cry, you want to shed those tears, you know, do you ever give yourself a little bit of time to feel badly for yourself? Um, I think maybe I'll answer that in two different ways. I give myself space to feel Mm -hmm. but I really don't give myself space to feel badly for myself. I really mm -hmm. don't. I just, I just don't. Wow. And sometimes people, this is an example, um, coming out of the hospital, right? You can, if you've ever been in the hospital, like for eight days or whatever, overnight, you're not really, it's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people that come in that are on different shifts. It's the middle of the morning for them. Doesn't matter that it's, you know, whatever time it is for you. So people are coming in, they're giving you shots and they're doing it on one side or the other. They got to wake you up and they got to do this, they got to do that. And people would want to engage in conversation with me thinking like, oh God, that's so, can you handle that? It's so annoying, right? And I was like, it just wasn't. It simply wasn't. There was not one moment where I didn't have somebody walk in, where I didn't open myself and appreciate them for being there in some capacity to care for me. And it just became this energy um, of exchange. And so like, I, it's not that you miss that connection, but it was so pure in the hardest of times. Mm -hmm. um, I love to cry. 
I really do. I love to cry. I will cry for TV. I will cry for a movie. I will cry at a book. I will cry at a cute kitten. <laughs> I, you know, like I will cry. I will cry. Um, but I don't feel badly for myself because I am the lucky one, 100%. So that moment of everyone coming in and the ability to open yourselves up to that, open yourself up to that and really feel this immense amount of gratitude for the people that supported you. Do you think that's due to practice or is that just where you are in life? Like, is that something that can be learned for us? Everything can be learned. Absolutely. Um, you know that I love the word practice because I believe everything is practice. And so um, we get conditioned a little bit to think that we have to be great at something right away. Um, and so then you forget to give yourself practice. And I know I was raised by a, an actual child prodigy, brilliant, brilliant man. Um, my mother, the most highly intelligent, sensitive, incredible woman. Um, my father could memorize symphonies and did. He spoke nine languages fluently, but he practiced every day. He practiced every day single day, every single day. He just practiced. He would sit down on his piano and he was practice and he would practice and he'd play and he would do and he would be creative. And, and my mother in the things that she was interested in, whatever it was, she was a great intellect. And so if it was reading or whatever, it was something she did every day. Um, I have this incredible ability in soul cycle and maybe it is partly just who I am or the role I've taken on or me as mama or me involved in training and loving people who I know are amazing um, is I do see people and I want to see people and I want to look people in the eye and I don't want people to change who they are, or what they are for, you know, unless it is authentically comes from them. But I do want to push people to see themselves. And so for whatever reason, this time in the hospital, well, not with forever reason. Like I couldn't take care of everybody. I'm such a caretaker. Mm -hmm. I had to go the other way. And so what was left was that we were still connected, whoever it was. You know. I think the reason that's so important because as we throw around this word gratitude, like, you know, like a potato chip, right? Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> but like I don't think people really understand the depth of the connection and the depth and the, the way it can fully change you over time if you really continuously put it into practice. And I think you are just somebody that is like an ultimate example of that. And like in ways that you never knew you could open up and expand or due to this practice over time of gratitude and constantly giving to other people and searching and pushing them, it all comes around full circle. Coming around full circle is literally like the air that I breathe sometimes. And I, you can imagine when people are givers, they're better at giving than receiving. And so receiving takes practice also. Mm. Um, the math of my family was the wrong math until now. And so you can imagine when the math was wrong, there's, you know, tensions there, you know, um, in that, so like, it's not like life is just great, has always just been easy or great, you know? Um, but I know, um, I know the power of recognizing um, what you have and who you are and where you are. Speaking of that math in terms of your family, like I think, you know, one of the things that I love most about you is how incredibly authentic you are. Like there is nothing that is not authentically Mel from the top to the bottom about you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so awesome to witness and to be in that light and get to feel and, and feed off some of that. You know, I guess my question is you were living a life for a long time that really made you happy, but the math wasn't right. Yeah. How did you, realize in your gut that maybe there was something out there that was a little bit deeper? Um, I Maybe not deeper is the right word, but maybe, maybe not deeper is the right word. I just knew that um, I needed, we together knew, we together knew that we needed 
change. We together know, right? Um, what I had to do was really, really, really practice um, loving myself and not just fitting into my life. Because I fit into my life and I could make my life work. One of those people that is really good at doing a lot of different things. And so I was pretty successful in my previous careers <laughs> um, in the same way and other things. But I needed to learn to really actually love myself so that I fit with myself. Um, part of that became a practice of brain training that I do daily. Um, that is really just a mindfulness practice. It is my form of therapy and I have a coach and he thinks of himself as a brain coach or performance coach. Um, and I started listening more. I started being a little quieter. I started setting out aside time to practice things, writing mantras over and over, repeating mantras over and over. Because ultimately, like the thing that I love about the brain training is that it's really sciencey also. And it, it is, you know, I have a busy brain and I like to know um, why things are working the way they are. And so what happens with the techniques that I practice is that you just start to impact your stress hormones and you learn to combat them and control them and you learn to not just ride the wave of your life but you learn to be the wave of your life i have a lot of mantras but the first one i'm gonna say it and then you'll see how weird it is i'm gonna make you say it okay, okay. okay. i'll make it, ask you to but you have to say whatever whatever it was for me it began with fear and it is even though I am afraid. I love and approve of myself completely. You I can say it for anything, even yeah. though I'm pissed, even though I'm scared, even though I'm whatever. Yeah. Even though I'm scared, I love and accept myself fully. Yeah. Say yeah. that three times without a tear. I don't know who you are. Yeah. Can you do it, Brittany? Yeah. Um, I'm very emotional right now because I don't want to break down. Um, but even though I am afraid, I have the drive and the need to continue to fall forward. Yeah. Yep. Um, can you say I love and approve of myself completely? I love and approve of myself completely. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. You got um, it. Yeah. I think I said it a hundred times a day, a hundred times a day. Wow. Right. Um, and it's emotional, right. And it's hard to say, and yeah. you sometimes have to say it before you believe it fully. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting watching because we have a video of ourselves in front of us, right. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at myself and saying that felt really tough yeah. yeah really tough to see a reflection and then really say that and like i i can see how the repetition of that kind of like changes you on a cellular level like yeah. well i mean that's really it you could literally you could see the rush of emotion which is mm -hmm. triggered by a hormone or whichever comes first right stress yeah. hormones or whatever mm -hmm. they're going through your body but this repetition so it starts with that now I do a whole lot of them, but that one, that one was a big one for me at the beginning. I didn't do it alone. I did it at the same time. I learned a lot of cool breathing techniques. The most simple, most simple. It's all, I love math. You either are going to like breathe in for six seconds and breathe out for six seconds, real yeah. simple. Or you do that, you know, breathe in for four seconds, hold for seven, exhale for eight. And you do these loops. All it is, is about paying attention to yourself. Paying when did you start? When did you start this? I think I start. I want to say it's three or four years ago. Okay. Um, so consistently for three to four years, you've been practicing this. Yeah, I practiced this. 
it's hard to end a marriage. It's hard to end. A, it's hard to break up a family. Um, and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. Let alone, do you want to be known for that? But you don't want that for your kids, you know. And but the math was wrong. Yeah. And we weren't. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, we weren't. It wasn't. We weren't going to be together that way. And so he had his own major, major life journey that he was going through and ultimately, you know, it continues to go through and has a new career, but I had a vision at a time when we were all together, um, the five of us, my ex-husband and my three kids, I had a vision of my whole family in a pool. Um, my kids were older. There were partners. There were, I don't know if there were grandchildren and there were other loves for me and for Jason. Um, and it wasn't each other, but we were all together. And I had this clear, clear, clear vision that became the letter that I wrote that began the like remathing of our family. Okay. Um, and it took some time and it took process. All I know is where I am right now, um, where you just hold on to nothing except for love and family. You literally hold on to nothing. You can imagine, I've been with this man since I was 22 years old, wow. right? And he was 20. Wow. Hey. Um, <laughs> it's a long time. So there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of fire. Yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, I just decided I do not hold the fire. I wash love over all of it. And we are family. And this is what it looks like. And every day since then, that's where I have, that has been my work. Did you set out to create that vision, vision or did that vision just come to you? Like, did you like sit down and like, like oh, I'm going to create a vision no, 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 no. I was walking through, I was walking on a beach in Mexico and I had a vision. Mm -hmm. Didn't set out. I've said I'll take a walk in the vision. <laughs> <laughs> I said I'd get away, take a walk away. No. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'll be back. <laughs> Give me a minute. When you started to make these choices and when you started to, you know, Renavigate this different family. Were you ever worried that with one of these choices, with one thing, it would, you know, that your world could fall apart or like that snowball effect that we're all afraid about? Because so I know you were doing it, but in the process of while you were doing it, did that ever hit you or you just. Um, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a good question. I, um, it was Bevan's question. We alternate. So. <laughs> They're all questions. Fear is a tricky little sneaky little thing, you know. Um, but if you follow your truest sense of self, um, I knew what every step of the way that what we were both doing was the right thing. And then, you know, all along the way, um, we did it our own way. We did it our own way. We stayed living in the same household for a lot of years in separate spaces. Um, we did not do it perfectly in how we told our kids, probably. Um, that's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Um, but I don't spend too much time dwelling on that because we, each day that we did something, we were doing the best we could on that day. Where we are now, what's beautiful along the journey is like life took another hairpin turn and, you know, here now I fell in love. So he nice. is also, you know, and what, what a greater thing, you know? I think one of the reasons we really wanted to tap into that. And I just want to let people know is because we understand right now during this time, we have more time. Some of us have more time than we ever anticipated and it can feel really scary and it can feel really unsteady. But I think if you start to put into practice, some of these things that Mel is talking about that ultimately, we can get closer to something that is more fulfilling and closer to our authentic self if we allow ourselves the space and the time. So, like, like you said, don't don't ride the wave, create it. Yeah, or just like literally, like be the wave. Be the wave. Know? That's it. 
Either way, um, I there's a lot of ways to think about it. Being a channel to receive a vision, taking a pen and writing on a piece of paper to write a vision, sitting to meditate to seek a vision, whatever it is. The vision is the prayer. The vision is the guide. Um, and you, it's from who? You call it your God, your spirit guides, your universe. I have no. I have created for myself a. I said, right now I am being inducted. I have been chosen by a supreme <laughs> goddess to become a princess, warrior, goddess, priestess. And this is initiation. And sometimes it's like the nectar of the gods has to run through you. And sometimes you have to splay yourself open to a point of absolute like rebirth from the ground up. Um, I was rebirthed through love and care in the last couple of months. Um, there's nothing more powerful than that. Um, but the vision is something you have to keep returning to. And I do keep returning to um, my newest vision. Snapchat gave it to me at first because it has a filter where it can make you look like an old lady. And I was like, yes, Snapchat. I am going to be that white haired old lady with the evil eye tattoo on her hand. I like it. And so every night that is a vision for me. I love um, it. Right? That's and so and right? All of it is the, is the, what's the antidote? What's mm -hmm. the antidote maybe for fear? What's the antidote for me when I like don't feel good and my head hurts and I feel like I'm not feeling good? The antidote is have a vision of a healthy, happy old lady life for yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I know you talk about gratitude is easy to throw around, um, but you, you, it is the answer because it is the exact match antidote for frustration. And frustration is the root of a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. We're frustrated by where we are. We're frustrated by the pace. We're frustrated by having to look at each other in a computer, or stay home or do this. Or we're frustrated by the state of our marriage, we're frustrated by our job, whatever it is. To immediately get you out of it, you just start going like, I'm grateful for my leopard cashmere sweatpants. I'm yes. grateful for my $25 reading glasses from Peepers. I'm grateful that I got my hair blonded right before the chemo. I'm so jealous. lucky. So <laughs> jealous. I don't even know, Bevan, how this is going to go, but I'm looking forward to it. I am too. For you. Good. You know, it's it's a journey right now. Yeah. yeah. I hear her hair. Well, I mean, we talk about hair every day. But the hair chronicles is definitely. It's a, thing. it's a real thing. <sighs> it's so interesting, though. I will say that, like, you know, this, when I say gratitude is thrown around lightly, I mean, I think so many people use it and it, we're oversaturated with the word in a way that we don't fully understand it and it's full magnitude, right? Yeah. So, like, for me personally, I know I'm in a current situation that. I had stepped back from that practice momentarily and the world literally was like coming in with a baseball bat, like, nope, you're not going to do this. You need to re to reground yourself in that. And it comes and it finds you if, if you're willing to um, be open to it. Yeah. It'll come and find you. If, exactly. If you're willing to be open to it, which I know you are. Right. And you know, you like to self deprecate as you know, a lot of people do, but the thing that I want people to understand about gratitude, it doesn't have to be this, it doesn't have to be sing-songy. Right. Mm -hmm. It can just be basic. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that I bought beads so I have something to do when I want to. I'm grateful that I have food in my refrigerator right now. And I am so grateful Brittany has a thing of Reese's peanut butter cups yeah. in the apartment that I have access to while she's gone. See? I'm incredibly See? grateful for that. <laughs> More so the fact that you have, I think, two apartments rather than being in one. His and a hers is a good way to go. It is. And exactly. It's a his and a hers right now. His and a hers. Exactly. <laughs> um, Jessica got inspired by me showing 
her your story when Will makes you dinner and plates it. And so she's been in charge of lunch because she trades equities at the dining room table. And so she's been doing plated lunch. I'm into that, Jess. Nice. <laughs> Will cook for me a lot too. Some lettuce wraps I've been dreaming about. <laughs> yeah, the lettuce wraps are deluxe. They looked amazing. I hear you on the gratitude. I, for me, you know, when I feel like I'm being hit or I'm being punched or things are being thrown my way, I do try to like take part and look at the simpler things and look at those simple things that we are grateful to have because Mel, you know, you're an example of really being put through some of the worst things, you know, and you have come out on that other side. So it's like, there could be for me always a worst there could be always something worse. And right now, I just here I go again. <laughs> but right now, there we do are and are lucky for so many, many things. Yeah. You know? Um, this is what I know to be true, Brittany. And the, and it's so true. If it's true for me, it's true for everybody. Yeah. Because we are all the same. Where it really, really matters. If you break anything down to this little moment and then the next one, yeah, you just walk on fire. You yeah. could do absolutely anything, right? So you got something you got something you're you got to do in looming for you, right? Yeah. Um, you're not gonna. This is how I always look at it. People go like, "Oh, how can you be going through chemo in the middle of a pandemic? I can't yeah. believe it." Yeah. Like, you want to know something? You want to know something? I know that when I have to walk in, I will walk in, and I will get myself to the other side. Love of people around me, with my spirit guides, with my faith, with my whatever you bring with you in your pocket, with my little trolls and my crystals in my hand, you know, <laughs> right? Um, but you don't have to do it today. Right. If it's tomorrow, today you just have to be here and do today. Totally. And that that works for me when I start to look at a bell curve or I start to think about, wait a second, how long are we going to be sitting here? And then suddenly, suddenly. All you can think about is the end of the road. And then yeah. suddenly you're not at the end of the road. And so you feel separated from where you want to be. And then you that just brings immediately. It's not you cause it. It's just immediate. It's your human being. You're right. getting stress from that. Anxiety right. and stress, they just happen. What you do absolutely have the power and your best version of you is asking you to do it. Yes. To just come right back to this moment, calm yourself, get grounded, hold your own hand, hold your own hand, because you're going to walk in and face whatever it is you need to face when you need to face it. It's, you're not just, you're not putting it off. But you're just yeah. not doing it ahead of time. And that willingness to not do your life out of order, not keep living in the past, not keep waiting for the future but to just be where you are, not to do it out of order, is such a calming, anxiety-ridding way to be. I like to bring my little girl version of me with me sometimes. I like to bring my future version of me sometimes, who's looking back, going like, oh, Mal, you did good. You did good, remember? Remember when you just weren't sure how you were gonna get through that day and you did good? I bring her with me sometimes, mm -hmm. yeah. but. I think you answered what our next question was. Yeah. <laughs> people, you know, speaking of everyone in this current situation, people losing jobs, being furloughed, feeling really lost and confused and dealing with anxiety and stress. I think you just gave all the wisdom that's needed that seems to be pretty universal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks, Bevan. I, here's where it gets hardest for me um, when people are losing life, that's the hard one. And I'm just, sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes things happen that aren't fair, that aren't right. And I'm not, I do not believe that like, Oh, that happened. You lost your mother, father's grandmother for a reason. No, there's learning through tragedy. Sure. But that, that's just the first thing. And so the loss of life, that's hard. That's really hard. Um, all the rest of it, right? People, this is a, this is a hard time. Um, and some people have gotten used to ease and like blessings. 
Um, but ease is not necessarily the human experience, right? And it's not that it's not attaching good, bad to easy or hard, but sometimes things are hard and that doesn't mean they're bad. And that doesn't mean it's the end of things. And it doesn't mean it defines you. And it doesn't mean it's forever because everything will change. Everything will change. We will get through this. We absolutely will get through this. Um, put as much focus as you can into caring for yourself with kindness and calm in each, as many moments as you can, um, will give you the space to start to be creative about how you approach this time. Mm -hmm. And there's not a right way or a wrong way, but there is a clearer way and a more frantic way or a more anxious way. And you, you try not to judge yourself if you're on one side of that or the other, but you just give yourself permission to do the work that allows you to be mindful, you wanna call it, be present here and, and still find joy here, still find whatever it is you need to find here. Um, that ability to just calm down a little clears your mind. And then again, for me, do you need to write bullet points? Do you need to write a story for yourself? Do you need to speak the words? Do you just need to dream it? Do you need to paint it? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you also like seven o'clock PM, not only can you in New York city cheer for the people, the doctors and nurses and everybody that's working at the hospitals, all of the people that are out there risking their lives, but you can also just like get your voice loud. Yes. Yeah. So 7 p.m. is my teenage boy's best time of day um, besides what we refer to as bong o'clock. But <laughs> Both equally as important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave that there. But they go, out, we for that time. They go out there and they're just like, ah! <laughs> get loud. It's so necessary. It's so necessary. So one more question for you about this, and then we'll go on to a Q&A because I want to give people time to ask you questions, and I know they have them. Um, on a global level and a spiritual level, I know you probably have an idea of why you could see this all kind of unfolding as it, as it is with our world, and I would just love to know what you think. Yeah. Um, I believe very fundamentally that it's not... I don't want to say it happened for a reason. I don't say it happened. Why did it happen? I don't go to why, mm -hmm. but I immediately go to what do you want to make of it? That's what's important. Do we want, does it matter? Make it whatever you want. Your goddess in heaven was tired of everybody being so, oh, you want to be disconnected? You want to look at your screen? Watch mm -hmm. me. I don't know. Make up a story. That's great. I, I think there's fun stories out there. Or our earth is polluted. Our waters are polluted. We are divisive. We don't unify as a human race anymore. Watch this. Like, make it cartoony like that. That's fine. Mm -hmm. What you do is you just assign purpose to it for you. I say when I got diagnosed with cancer, I'm not saying why did this happen to me? I'm saying from this, I will learn this lesson. From um, this, I have learned the beauty of absolute vulnerability, the absolute necessity of, I always knew it was important to power, empower other people, but it's not only important to empower other people, but it's also important to like, work with other people, empower them, let them shine, step back, watch in awe as the nurse practitioner who's really the shit comes in and looks you in the eye and really tells you what's what and talks to you like a human because you've been talking to her people like a human. Make joyful noise, somebody said, you know, the way that I see that, you know, in my hospital room, we had a whiteboard and we just drew on it and colors and anytime somebody come in to give me a shot on the right arm we would mark it or make them mark it and draw pictures and draw animal spirit cards just to make it joyful yeah mm -hmm. 
It's yeah. why you put on a little concealer when you get up in the morning. Every you know? morning, girl, a little bit of joy. Yeah. <laughs> Mel, that was a like brilliant way to cap this off. I, I can't thank you enough. So we're going to open it up to you guys. Do you guys have any questions for Mel? Just type them into the chat and we will gladly start to answer them. Don't be shy. We have ones in case you get a little shy. Yes, we do. We'll give you about 10 seconds to write one. If no one writes one, I'm going on my own. Okay. <laughs> asking all my questions selfishly because <laughs> I need my dose of Mel. Yep. Should we talk about how my daughter is a first team all-American volleyball athlete at the University <laughs> of Chicago? Yes, we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, I just have these incredible children. Um, my two sons are around me, uh, which has been nice and then their dad comes over and he made dinner the other night or he'll make brunch or he'll do whatever but my daughter is with her boyfriend and his family in chicago um their spring season was canceled she's a volleyball player they play in the fall um so we'll see god we are hoping that she can play her senior season um yeah emma is the setter for the university of chicago volleyball and she is first team all-american and academic all-american yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So I think Britt, you had a question for Mel that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, for me, but we have some life questions. I liked about the, your storyline because I know a lot of women in my field, in Bevan's field, everyone gets nervous about pivoting their careers, right? They get to a point where they feel that they can't do what they really want to do after a certain age. Everyone gets really in their heads about ages. At 40 years old, you pivoted your whole career after doing two incredible many years of schooling. How, what was that feeling for you? Like, what was that like to just say, okay, I'm actually going to go into fitness and I'm going to go into this world right now. Um, it feels it. I think I was in such a place of searching. For myself at that point, I really, the community that started SoulCycle was so small. Right. Um, and it was this tiny little place and you knew everybody. And we really talked about the things that you said, like, put your dreams on your handlebars, like yeah. put your towel out there, put your dreams. And I literally was like, I, I don't know what my dream, like, I don't know what my dreams are. I really don't. I didn't, I don't know. What did I want to be? I want to be a reporter, an investigative broadcast journalist. Maybe that was my vision when I was in high school, but I didn't have like a calling. Um, and it was a tricky place as a child of somebody who was so gifted um, and knew his career. He put, started playing the piano at four years old and was like, you know? Um, so that's always a tricky thing as the child of someone to know what to do. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was about like, why the hell not? Like that feels like a open door that someone is saying, walk through and like, go ahead, walk through it. Um, I didn't feel 40 in the same way. I don't feel 50. And so it was a little more um, at the time. Yeah. Like I was like, check me out. I'm a lawyer. I'm a mom. And also I'm doing this, you know, I was a little feistier about it. And I think now I'm at a place where like, but I do like, I'm trying to be a 50 year old influencer on Instagram. So like, let's go. You are being <laughs> really when you're an Instagram person, really when you start, what they say is like buy stuff for cheap, get your friends to buy it. And then maybe we'll put you on our thing. And I don't know. I'm not sure. You're going to be great at it. You're, pivot you're pivoting again and you are already. So, so I'm going to work from the bottom and go yep. back to the top. Um, okay. Someone wrote, I'm having such a hard time focusing on work, really on anything. I'm at home alone with my four-year-old and still trying to juggle clients and employees. I feel so overwhelmed and so bored at the same time. Any oh my, Yeah. Um, gosh, I feel you, Jackie. I really do. Um, so, number one, when I read your question and I'm looking at that, right, um, the it is so natural to have a really hard time focusing on work and trying to do things in a new environment. So I have 
tried very hard. Maybe you're already doing this. I have tried very hard to be like, this is my bedroom. This is where I go for work. This is where Jessica goes for work. This is where the kids go. Like having little separations of space. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, I have learned because when I first started this work from home, I went 12, 14 hours straight and just like never stopped ever, ever, ever. So I started like scheduling in times to just do something that has nothing to do with anything else in my life. Do something like do a crossword puzzle, make a bracelet, draw a picture. Um, I think bullet journaling right now for people that are do bullet journaling is good because you have to like write out your own calendar. But the advice that I would say is like, if you can't focus on anything, do something that you love that's in your house. Do something that you love. If you love to play the guitar, play the guitar. If you love to sing, if you love to just anything that you love, try to do it. And you will be able to focus on that. And if you can focus on that, then you can focus on something else. The four-year-old is just, that is just so hard. I feel like there's this instructor, her name is Anna on Instagram. Like, I don't know how to do this, but I have an Anna Trulinger. Mm -hmm. She has two young kids. The ideas that she comes up with on how to take, how to, the stuff to do with like a four-year-old is so great. Um, It's on her Instagram or whatever. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff out there for parents right now too, of like Mm -hmm. how to get your kid out of your face a little bit and doing something on their own. I know Jackie's child and that child is a spitfire and Jackie's child, (laughs) she is, she's also a 95 year old four-year-old. Oh, she's wise. I have yeah, like the other day she she told me to not like she told me going out traveling. I was asking about going to North Carolina and she said, You cannot go, Bevan. It is dangerous. Oh, thank you. She also said in her bathroom, she was like, I'd like to put a um a couple chairs here and then I could have my friends over for a little like a little drink. <laughs> I know a lot of friends that are creating offices for their children too. So it's like you're going to work, but they've got their tasks. So it's talking about actually what they're doing at work. Like I'm actually doing emails. This is what I'm doing. What have you learned? Whether it's a new dance, whether it's like, you know, J-Lo's halftime (laughs) performance, something new that she could teach you. So it's like a different task. I've seen a lot of people try to create their office spaces for their children and vice versa. So they act like they're going to work with them. Yeah. So I'm going to go from the top to Laura. Laura Crago said, hey, Mel, I feel like you've had such a you have such a colorful life and are so present. But is there anything that you've been wanting to do and never told anyone? She said, well, maybe Jess. <laughs> you yeah. no. uh, whole world knows. Should I let her come and say hi? Yes. I have a baseball hat here um, that she- I keep poking her and she keeps fanning me with because I am like having little hot flashes. <laughs> oh, Jess, you are true. Um, I feel like, Laura, it's funny. Like, I don't, I would talk, I, I, I was good at keeping secrets in my life, I'm sure. Um, and I just don't think I have them anymore. But maybe like, what do I want to do? I don't know. Maybe I want to write a book but like a different kind of book. And like, sometimes, sometimes I think I really want to, sometimes I think I'm not sure. Um, um, but I'm really at a point where if I have something to say, I'm going to say it. Love that. Yeah. So I think we have time for like one or two more. I'm selfishly going to choose this one just cause I want to know Luke Hartman says, if you could have all your soul instructor babies in a room right now who are all desperate to turn it up and push, what is the one thing you would tell them? Oh, see, that one got me emotional. We've all cried. (laughs) I love this group of people so very much. Instructors. Okay, I love them so much. They are dynamic and powerful and connected, and they want for other people things that they, in an ideal sense, would want for themselves. And I want people to know that we've said it before. It's never been about a bike. It's not. And you remember that you came and we've always said there's something special about you. And I don't want you to forget that there's something special about you. And that is true regardless of the forum that you are in. Right. Um, 
Not every day is a day you have to heal the world. Not every day is a day you have to do for others. Um, but just by being you and sharing who you are to that group of people, I will say to anybody, you, by sharing who you are, you will help people around you be more connected to who they are and get themselves through a challenge um, like the one that we're facing. Um, if you break it down to one little choice at a time, anybody can do just about anything. Um, and so we have to just quiet it down. Um, remember who you are because you're special. Remember who you are because you're special. Remember who you are and see yourself like that. Mel, this has been um, by far the highlight, <laughs> maybe of my entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Same. We cannot thank you enough for sharing your wisdom and your joy and your spirit and your authenticity. And Jess, we love you. Um, uh, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and have a nice Yep. We're going to send this around too. So for those that want to pass it along or couldn't watch right now, we're going to have the whole recording in its entirety so you guys can all watch it. <laughs> <laughs> But I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. You healed me a little today. <laughs> twice, twice in one day. Wow. <laughs> now, if I can figure out how to turn it off every single time. Thank you.